Welcome to the Money and Mortgages Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Coleman, accredited financial counselor and mortgage planner. Join me as I speak with fellow industry experts on all things personal finance. Welcome, everyone. This is Adam Coleman, and my guest today is Kevin Lau, who's a certified financial planner and founder of Imagine Financial Security, a flat fee only financial planning firm out of Jacksonville, my hometown. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, today we're going to be diving into the world of real estate investing, which not exactly a subject that many financial planners seem to gravitate towards. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts there. But before we get started, tell us a little bit about you and your firm. Yeah. So I started in the industry in, in 2008, obviously during the Great Recession, really good time to, to be a, a finance major coming out of college. A lot of my business classmates went on to graduate school because there was no jobs. And I was really fortunate. I got, I was at a career fair and one of my friends said, you know, you need to go check out the you know, the financial services company. And so I checked it out and spent six years there, met my wife there. I had a great time, but ultimately, you know, I found out about this other way of doing planning. Okay. Really through the XY planning network, you know, Michael Kitsies is, is uh, from the area that I grew up in Northern Virginia. So I heard, I'd heard about this other way of giving advice, this fee only way of giving advice that really attracted me really back in 2013. I knew I'm like, hey, this is what I want to do, but I can't do it today. I just had a lot of fear. I was, I just was uncertain or, you know, what that environment looked like. So I spent another six years working for more of a hybrid wealth management insurance firm in bank. And that was amazing to sort of cut my teeth more on the comprehensive financial planning side, as opposed to just insurance sales. And 2020, I thought, hey, this is a really good time to start a business. I have three kids under the age of two. You know, you know, what, you know, what, what better time to start a, a business now at the height of the pandemic and with, with three little ones. So right. uh, here we are three years later, we're still standing. So that's a good thing. Well, congrats on that. <laughs> well, I mentioned it before. So a fair amount of financial planners tend to, I think, shy away from real estate investing. I think it's just not their bread and butter. I think investments and you know standard mutual funds, ETFs, that whole thing is kind of their standard go-to option when it comes to investing. But you're a little bit different where you take a different approach. So I guess, why is that? And what made you gravitate towards real estate investing? Yeah, you know, I, I think just really my personal experience investing in real estate. I mean, I kind of just had, had these aha moments. And, and, and you're right, you know, when I was new in the industry, 2008 to 2012, and, you know, I had uh, mentors at my firm that were like, real estate's a terrible investment, you know, it only appreciates at 5% a year, you know, stocks will appreciate at 10% a year. So just don't even worry about real estate. You know, if clients ever want to talk about real estate investing, just say, hey, this you're better off putting the S&P 500 index fund. And so on the surface, that may feel true or seem true. But once you really understand the mechanics of how the returns work on real estate, how the tax benefits work, how it can serve as a, as a diversification tool, I, you know, again, experience investing in real estate myself, you know, having bought my first property in 2016, my second in 2020, plan on continuing to do that now, especially as the business is up and running, continue to add more properties just as a diversification tool for me. You know, everyone has their own reasons investing in real estate. Some people uh, that I know, they go all in on real estate investing. They don't even buy uh, traditional securities like, you know, index funds or mutual funds that go all in on real estate. Um, you know, for me, I like to take an approach of diversification, you know, obviously being a financial planner with my background. So obviously my home run investment is into my own business, you know, growing the valuation of my practice and my business long-term, you know, the second in my eyes is my real estate investing. The third is my traditional stocks 
stocks and mutual funds, you know, and ETFs, those types of investments. Is my and my fourth is my good old cash value life insurance. So that's really the, those are the four tools that I use to build wealth myself. And uh, you know, it's, again, it's not for everybody, but you know, I think that's really why I sort of said, hey, you know, this that, this actually could make sense in the in the context of an overall financial plan uh, for especially the markets that I'm serving that are Gen X, Gen Y entrepreneurs or super high income. They're easily able to max out their 401ks or their qualified plans. They're just looking for other places to invest. This could be one of those buckets that you that you look at filling up. Thanks. Well, and, and there are several options to go into. I mean, tons of different ways to get into real estate investing. I mean, you've got kind of traditional single family home, just buy it as a rental property, you know, buy and hold as a rental you got house flipping, Airbnb, you can go into like REIT investing. So real estate investment uh, trust investing or house hacking is another one, I guess all of the above. And then yeah. even to the extreme of commercial real estate investing. So what do you like and dislike about any of those options more than others? Yeah. First, you know, just, just as a disclosure to the listeners, like, you know, I'm still in the learning process of the real estate game. There's so, like you said, there's so many ways to invest in real estate. I haven't experienced an Airbnb. I haven't experienced in doing, you know, flips. I have clients that do that type of thing. And I have other colleagues and friends and family members that get into that type of investing. And so I think, you know, real estate is, is some of the things that like, you can, there's so much to learn. I've really found a lot of value in just the bigger pockets community, the podcasts, the books that they put out. So that's really where I've garnered a lot of my knowledge with real estate. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, I think every type of real estate investment is going to have different risks. It's going to have different upside, different downside. It's going to have different tax benefits. And it's also going to suit certain types of investors. You know, there's certain types of investors like like, hey, I want to be super passive. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go out and receive phone calls from the tenants to change a, to fix a toilet or to, you know, to fix whatever it might be. I don't want to deal with that type of thing. I want to be super passive with my investing. So that might be a little bit different than someone who wants to actually get out there and flip homes and find deals that are, that are off market, that are below market value. That's really where you can hit a lot of home runs is by finding the right properties. And you're just not going to be able to do that if you're just kind of passive and you're looking at deals in the MLS or in Zillow. It's just right. very hard to do that. You can still be very successful. That's how I bought both of my properties on traditional MLS. But, you know, there are many different ways to investing in real estate. And you got to just my, my suggestion to people is like, do some research, listen to podcasts, read books, talk to people that have done different types of real estate investing and see what kind of resonates within your overall portfolio and how it could fit with your lifestyle as well. Well, and I think you did, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you did it the, the way I would envision people starting off with it is basically you bought a house as a primary residence and then you eventually moved out to a different house and then you kept that one as a rental, mm -hmm. correct? That's correct. And we're, we're in the process of doing the same thing again to our current house. So we're going to turn this one into a rental as well. And that's one of the big, that's, that's in my opinion, one of the lowest risk ways to invest in real estate. Buy it as a primary residence. You get the best mortgages, you know, on those properties, as you know, Adam. And, you know, long term, after you let that property season, now you've even paid down a little bit of your principal. Now you've even more equity in the property. Maybe real estate, maybe interest rates change over time. Like right now, we're in a high interest rate environment relative to the last 20 years. Maybe rates do come down and you're able to do a refinance. So it's a really, yeah, it, it's in my opinion, it's a very low risk way of investing in real estate because you've owned it as your primary residence. You know the area, you like the area, you you you, you like the property enough for you lived there. And then, you know, you could, if you want to, turn it into a different strategy. I'm in the process of right now to turn my first one into a short-term rental right now. And then the property we're in now, we're going to turn this into a long-term rental because they don't even allow short-term rentals based on the HOA bylaws. But 
but yeah, that's, that's worked for me. You know, if I had a lot more time to invest in real estate, I, like I said, I have three little kids, I run a business. I don't have a lot of time to go out there and like find deals myself off market. You know, if I had more of that time, you know, maybe I'll do, I do more flips or I do more burr properties, but you know, for, for right now where I'm at in my life, this is a great strategy for me. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big key is I, I hear too many people talk about, oh, it's passive investing. And it's like, it's not passive. Like there's some work to be done, especially if you start getting into some of this stuff. Like it's definitely takes on a whole another job of itself. But I think the way yep. you're doing it is certainly the the cleanest way and probably the simplest way to get you know your foot in the door of real estate investing for sure. I mean, house hacking would be another option yep. that I've seen people oh, yeah. have success with. It just takes a certain type of person that wants to go through that because it isn't it's sometimes not the easiest thing to do, especially with your first house, because a lot of people yeah. do that to buy a multi-unit property. They're you know, house hacking. I, I had a friend of mine that did this, you know, right after college. He bought a house. It was a regular single family mm -hmm. home and he just rented out several of the rooms and they were essentially paying, right. not only paying his mortgage, but he was also pocketing a little bit of cash flow. And so he was, you know, he had a cash flowing property right off the bat. He had a really preferred mortgage interest rate. He was building equity by way of paying down his principal. And then he's obviously enjoyed uh, appreciation since then too. So you don't necessarily just have to do a multifamily to do a house hack. You can even just do a regular single family home. Now it doesn't work if you're married with kids. That obviously is not going right. to work. Your, your spouse is probably not going to be down with some random tenants in your home. But if you have a duplex or tri or, or quadplex, you know, there's, there are those opportunities there where you can rent a separate unit. And that's one of my favorite recommendations, like unsolicited recommendations for people on the street that I talked to about like just investing in general. I'm always like your first property, find a way to house act, like get a duplex, right. get a quadplex, live in one of the units, rent out the others. And especially now, you know, with these preferred mortgages, with some of these multifamily homes, I mean, you could probably, you know, enlighten the audience a little bit better than I can, but I, I think you can get away with putting only 5% down on a conventional loan with the multifamily property, which is pretty powerful in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a recent change. I mean, it used to be pretty restrictive where you had to have like 15 to 20% in a lot of these cases. FHA mm -hmm. was always kind of the go-to house hacking option where you could put three and a half percent down, but there's some downsides to FHA and it can yep. be pretty tricky to qualify with FHA for a house hack nowadays. But, but yeah, yeah, they did improve that quite a bit where, I mean, 5%, you can buy a two to four unit property rent out the other ones. If, if you're down for it, then you can make some <laughs> some good money doing that. It does yeah. take some work. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be like other mortgage people and be like, yeah, that's the best thing for everybody to do. Mm -hmm. It definitely takes a, a certain type of person to to be willing to go through that. But especially younger, mm -hmm. like if you're younger and you don't care about yeah. living right next to somebody, like share a wall with somebody, I think it's a great option for a lot of people. And probably Huge. legitimately the only way a lot of people can honestly afford a house in this market with the rates yeah. being higher and property values being higher. Like it'd be tough yeah. for a lot of people, especially for a first time home buyer. So it's oh, a yeah. good way to go into it. Absolutely. But yeah, no, you're, you're doing it the way I, I kind of wish I had done it myself. I, I always kick myself for not keeping my first two houses and renting them out because it, it would have been such an easy process. It had like a 3% rate on them and then rent them out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you take advantage of the primary rate, you know, residence rates on those instead of the rental property. You can't go wrong there. If, if you've got a decent house, you, you know, you've lived in there. Yeah. So you kind of know yeah. the, the pros and the cons. You obviously picked it for a reason. So mm -hmm. you'd like that house for a while. So it's not going to be too shocking to think that you can find somebody that's going to like it to, to rent it out, especially in this market. Yeah. I mean, you know, like back in 2016, when we first bought that house, like that I had that mindset, like, Hey, we're going to turn this into a long-term and then a short-term rental. Not right. really. I mean, I always kind of felt like, Hey, we're, we're like, we were buying 
in the number one school district in Florida. We knew it was a very desirable county in the state of Florida. So that obviously, you know, that checked off that box. It's in a very, you know, great proximity, very close to the beach, splash parks, all the amenities in this neighborhood. So I, in my mind, I'm like, this is a great buy. You know what I mean? Like, and, and looking at the, the prices back then, I mean, I bought that house for $312,000 uh, back in 2016. The, the current value is over five fifty. dollars I mean, oh, that's yeah. insane. The appreciation, that's 76% total appreciation over that seven years. Now, a lot of that came in 2021, 2022, 2023. Sure. You know, when, when the pandemic and the migration from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all the new, the northeastern states to Florida. But, you know, ultimately, I always kind of had this feeling that this is a great long-term play. And it just so happened, like, we made a move after our, we went from one to three kids. We were like, hey, we just need extra bedrooms. I'm working from home full-time. We just needed a different kind of space. And I kind of had to convince my wife to do this because in the beginning, she was like, hey, you're starting a business. Like, let's just, let's just sell the property. Let's get the cash. Let's stay liquid. And in my mind, I'm like, let's just try it for a year. Let's rent it for a year. If it's not working, then we'll sell. And well, that year was 2021 when pr the home prices went up 30 plus percent in my county. Right. So, you know, she was like, hey, that, that was a great idea, you know, and she kind of thinks it was her idea now. So, which is fine with me. And so I think she's kind of bought into the idea of, you know, real estate as an investment. And again, not, not sort of the be all end all. But as a piece of the puzzle of an overall financial plan, it could be a great complement to other things that, that your audience is doing. And then certainly for my family that we're doing as well. Right. Well, no, and I, it kind of brings up the next topic is like, who do you think would be the best candidates to get into real estate and probably who shouldn't at this point? It's a good question. I mean, I, I would say who should get into real estate. I, mean, I think anyone who's legitimately trying to build wealth and wants to do it in the most diversified way possible I like to use that core four analogy all the time, you know, especially for my entrepreneurs. And you know, you've got your business valuation, that's your home run bucket. There's going to be no rate of return anywhere you can find that's going to generate the multiples in your business. Um, right. But I would say real estate is number two, you know, at least for me and, and my experience personally with my properties, you know, real estate would be number two as, as sort of like that home run type of bucket. Uh, if you buy the right property, it's all about buying the right deal in the right location, and, and having a long-term mindset. So I'd say anyone who doesn't want to have a longer-term mindset probably should stay away from investing in real estate, especially with the high interest rate environment we're in today. It's much harder to find deals. Like I'm, I'm talking to investors right now that are like, that have been super active investing in real estate. They've been kind of slowing down over the last year just because the deals are harder to find. You know, they're still out there, but they're harder to find. But I think that could start to turn a little bit. I was having this conversation with, the property manager that we just hired for our other house that we're turning into a short-term rental because we're, you know, we're switching strategies and St. Augustine is 15 minutes from my house. Okay. So he's very, very familiar with the St. Augustine market. There's been sort of like a plethora of, of, of investors flooding into St. Augustine to buy these short-term rentals and trying to Airbnb them. And especially the ones that have bought over the last one to two years, he's just saying like all of them are cash flowing in the red. Because of how high interest rates were, how high the, the the home value was, and now with the competition, you know, you know, markets that are really, really saturated and have a lot of competition for other short-term rentals or whatever you're competing against, that is a factor. So I think you could start seeing some of those investors try to offload their properties, and there could be deals to have. And so I think if you're out there, you're kind of like, hey, should I get in now? I mean, absolutely. If you have a long enough time horizon, it doesn't matter that interest rates are high now, because as you know, Adam, what's like the phrase that y'all like? using the mortgage industry, you marry the house and date the rate or whatever. I think that's what it is. And so, so if rates... stuff like that, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what I hear a lot of mortgage people talk about. It's like, in, but that kind of makes sense. Like 
If you buy a property now, you might be overpaying right. just a little bit relative to a few years ago, for sure. Yeah. And your interest rate's probably higher than you like. So cash flow, you might kind of be in the red for a little while. But let's right. say you have a year or two and you have a couple of tenants turnover. Now you're able to raise rents and now you pay down some of your mortgage. Now also potentially rates have either leveled or, or come down. Maybe you can do a cash out refinance, take some of your equity out, have a lower interest rate, and now you could be cash flowing in the black. And so right. if you have a long enough time horizon, it could be a viable strategy for, ju for just about anyone. But, but certainly for folks that are higher income, you know, or let's say they're entrepreneurs, they're looking for a way to shelter some of their dollars from taxes. They're looking for a way to build wealth outside of any of your traditional stocks and bonds or mutual funds or ETFs. It's certainly a great complement to what those folks are doing outside of their business ventures. Right. Well, and, and that's a good segue. So obviously the big question in a lot of people's mind is like, all right, do I want to go heavy in real estate investing or do I want to focus just invest it in stocks and bonds, mutual funds, whatever? Mm -hmm. uh, how are you comparing this? Because in terms of you know numbers, you know, if you're super analytical, how are you differentiating the two to try to rationalize the return on investment that you could get? Like you said, stocks and bonds mm -hmm. or stocks over course of you know time have averaged about 10%, real estate, not as much. So mm -hmm. what numbers are you using to make that analysis? So investing in kind of like your traditional basket of ETFs or mutual funds, right? I mean, there, there's like you know, it's what's like the terminology now? It's like kind of like the lazy way to build wealth, but a very viable way to build wealth. It's like max right. out your 401k plan, max out your HSAs, max out your Roth accounts, make those super aggressive into ETFs and index funds. Like that is the most passive way you can build wealth. And those are the traditional folks that I'm serving with my practice that are closer to retirement. I kind of have like two segments of my practice. I have like your traditional retirees that have built wealth inside of these traditional 401ks and IRAs. And then I've got this growing uh, segment of my uh, client base that's more the entrepreneurial Gen X, Gen Y, kind of like folks like me that are trying to build wealth with traditional investments, but also with their business ventures and then also with real estate. Um, but I think if you want to look at some of the numbers, I think that the, the, the biggest thing with real estate for me is like you can't just look at appreciation as like the benchmark where it's like, hey, home values over time. Like I looked at stats before we had this conversation, like roughly 4.4% a year, it seems like nationwide is the the, the average price of, of home values going up. You know, last year, if you looked at Florida, you know, we saw a 5% increase from December 22 uh, to December 2023. So 5%, if you compare that to, let's say, the S&P 500 in 2023, it lagged by 21%, okay? Right. But, but, if, but if you ignore the leverage, okay, on the property, that's your problem, okay? And, that, and that's why I think a lot of my mentors, when I first got started in the industry, they're like, hey, 5% versus 10%, no brainer, invest in the S&P 500. Well, that's not apples to apples because I didn't put 100% of the home value price with my down payment. I maybe only put 20% down. So now you're using 80% of somebody else's money, but 5% is on the total value. So if you really look under the numbers here, I just did a little a little back of the napkin in Excel, okay? So let's so the average home price in the state of Florida in December of 2022 is $383,610. The average home price in, in one year later in December of 2023 was $403,800. So that was a 5% increase in home values in the state of Florida. Let's say someone put a, home, a down payment of 20% down in 2022. Therefore, they put 76,000 down of their own money, okay? But if we have a $20,000 increase in the value of your property, your cash on cash return is significantly higher than 5%. Well, what is it? Well, you also have to factor in another way you can make money in real estate, and that's paying down your principal. 
Okay, so in that situation, someone took out a 30-year mortgage at 7% roughly. They also pay down about $6,000 in principal on their mortgage. So not only do your home value go up 20 grand, you also had $6,000 of, of paying down your principal. So now your total return roughly, assuming no cash flow, by the way, because this market, probably assuming no cash flow for most deals, your total return is 26490 If you look at a cash on cash return, that's 35%. Right. Very tough, very tough to replicate that. And that's just that's just one year. You know, if you look at a longer term horizon, it could fluctuate, obviously. You know, 2023 wasn't a stellar year for real estate. It was kind of, it was fine. It was okay. 5%, that's kind of right. around the average, right? I did the same thing for my property, the one I bought in 2016, annualized rate of return of 58% a year. Okay, if you're factoring the leverage, very hard to replicate that investing in index funds, ETFs, mutual funds. I certainly I could replicate that in my business, and it, my business valuations exceeded that multiple. But but that's 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 why the real estate is so powerful is because you have the leverage, and then you also have the tax benefits, which we haven't gotten into that yet either. Well, and that's the next question. So maybe speak to that. So what are kind of the major tax considerations for people going through real estate investing? Because that's obviously a big one. Yeah, I, I think I think like the general for for most people getting into real estate and like for me personally, I'm a passive investor. Okay, I'm not I'm not a real estate professional. I, I don't have active participation in my investment, so I'm a passive investor. So I'm limited on using my passive losses from my real estate activities to offset only passive income, which is fine for me. I'm, a, I'm you know that's that's not the main reason I'm, I'm investing in real estate today. But but the tax benefits it really comes down to depreciation and expenses. Okay. So, you know, obviously, you know, we're collecting rents from our property, you know, but but essentially, if once you factor in the expenses, which is your mortgage, your interests, your taxes, your insurance, your maintenance, your repairs, all of those things, a property manager, and then you add on top of that depreciation, okay, which most properties are going to be depreciated about 27 and a half years. So you take the property value, excluding the land, okay, so just the building value, divide that by 27 and a half, and that's roughly what you could take as a deduction each year. On that property right uh, right when it goes into existence so that comes into about 3.6 percent per year of the property value once you factor those things in i'm not showing any income even though my property is cash flowing positive i don't show any in income on my tax return from my rental income and that's nice right. because essentially i can just offset any income that i'm earning it's it goes to zero okay and then long term i have capital gains taxes okay so just like stocks mutual funds if you hold it for long term longer than a year you have capital gains taxes short less than a year then you have a short term capital gains taxes and so that's a nice benefit in addition to the step up in basis when i pass on and i leave this asset to my children they're going to get that step up in cost basis is just like you would with a stock bond or traditional mutual fund okay that's kind of most people are going to have that tax benefit but i think if you can take it to the next level and this is sort of where i'm thinking later on in life particularly for my wife because she used to be a realtor and right now she's, you know, she's like time and a half with the kids, you know, three boys under the age of five. It's it's kind of crazy in my household, but long-term becoming a real estate professional, having material participation in the property, then you can actually look at potentially using those active losses from your real estate investing in offset other income, like from my business. And that's where really it can get crazy. And that's where you hear a lot of people like, oh, well, Trump paid zero in taxes or, you know, these, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, he's, he, he, he pays no taxes, but he's making millions a year. That's why, okay? Because the real estate professionals, they spend the majority of their time investing in the real estate activities. And it's more so than any other activity that they're participating in. But that's kind of next level. And that's something I'm looking at as well for myself. What are the main requirements or stipulations for that? 
Yeah. So you may want to put put this on the show notes. So I'll, I'll send you a link that I'm looking at right now. But yeah. essentially, so essentially, you need both of these criteria in order to qualify. Okay. Number one, more than half of the personal services performed by the taxpayer during the tax year must be performed in real property trades or businesses, okay, in which the okay. taxpayer materially participates, okay? So that's number one. And then number two, the taxpayer must perform more than 750 hours of service during the tax year in real estate property trade or businesses in which the taxpayer materially participates, okay? Gotcha. So okay. my business is way more than half of my time. So I could not qualify right. right now, okay? My spouse, my wife, once our kids are in school, she could absolutely qualify. If she's spending more than 750 hours of services on real estate, on those investments, and that represents more than half of her services performed during the year, she could be golden, okay? Now, obviously there are other things as well for material participation, but I think those are things that you need to kind of look at and see, hey, can I, can I take advantage of this? Or can my spouse take advantage of this? That's what I see a lot of my entrepreneurs do where like, let's say one spouse is kind of the kind of running the business and the other spouse is maybe helping a little bit, but maybe they have time to focus their efforts and energy on real estate investing. It could be such a powerful tax play if you have a real estate professional in the household. Gotcha. Now, and they don't need to be a real estate agent or anything. It's just related to the time. Just those two stipulations yep. that you talked correct. about. Correct. Yep. Correct. Right. Nice. No, that's good information for sure. Well, and we kind of talked on this already a little bit, but you know, easiest methods to get into real estate investing for people that don't have experience with it. I think you kind of already mentioned that basically convert your existing primary home to a rental um, when you move out. Anything else, I guess, that you would think would be a good you know, starting off point for people? I mean, I, I would say partnering with someone who's done some deals, you know, yeah. I, I would say that that would be my my top recommendation. In addition to doing your own research and, and education, find someone who's done some investing on their own and say, hey, I would love to do a deal with you, you know, and figure out a way to make it work, whether it's you bring the down payment and they do the heavy lifting and you get to watch them in action. I mean, th this is kind of like part of the education process is seeing deals in action. So that's what I'd recommend is like partner with someone who's done it before that's that's doing properties, especially the ones that you want to get into. If you want to get into Airbnb, someone find someone who's doing Airbnbs. If you want to get into flips, find someone who's doing flips and see if you can partner in one, two or three of those. And then you can kind of go out and on your own and and uh, and maybe do one or two on your own and 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 it is really put this into action. Like to like learn, learn by doing is is what I like to do. Like I think there's a lot of the time people can kind of do have this analysis by paralysis. You know, for from my perspective, it's like life's really short. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. And it's like, the more time you can spend doing as opposed to thinking about doing, the the, the shorter your learning curve is going to be. And so that's what, that's what I'd recommend is like, find someone that you trust that you could potentially partner with. And that is probably your easiest way to get into real estate. And then obviously, you know, like we talked about converting your existing primary, but even just buy and hold long-term rentals. Like, even if you're like, Hey, I'm going to cash flow negative for the first year or two, but again, don't have that mindset. Even if your property is like, minus $100 a month of cash flow in the first year or two, you're still having equity built up because the property is being paid down by your renters, your tenants. Okay. Right. So you still can have a positive rate of return, even though the cash flow was in there. That's one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is like, they're just investing for cash flow. Right. If that's your primary goal in this market, it's going to be tough to do that. It might take five or 10 years for those properties to season in order to get there. But if your primary goal is to say, Hey, I want to build wealth, there are opportunities out there in this market.
Yeah, especially with the principal paydowns and the tax deductions and things like that. Like you said, it, it is hard to cash flow sometimes, but that's not the end all be all. Certainly when mm -hmm. there's all these other different you know, stipulations that come into play. So yeah, totally. Do, do you like the idea of people focusing more on their local markets or do you think it really matters? It depends on your local market. I mean, if you're out in like the Bay Area, you know, like San Francisco, I mean, yeah, you've got to have some capital to, to get some. I mean, you're, you're like looking at a starting point of a couple million bucks versus if you're out in California, you have high salaries, you know, out in San Francisco and you're like, hey, I'm going to look at a different market. It probably opens the door to more buying opportunities. The only thing I would say is just like the word of caution is make sure you have the right team if you're investing at a market. You know, and right. so like that team would be kind of like your property manager, you know, general contractors, real estate professionals, you know, lending, obviously the financing is important as well. But, you know, if you have a really good, if you find a really good property manager that is willing to partner with you, they're going to know real estate. They're going to know general contractors. So like, I feel like the property manager is kind of the key. And once you find a really good one or two of those in a certain market, you know, totally comfortable with investing out of market. I haven't done that personally, but I know people personally that have done that. And with a lot of success. Yeah, I've seen it all across the board. I mean, ag agreed, you kind of have to have that property manager relationship. And, and you need to understand that you're not going to be managing yourself, obviously, clear across the country. So there is a fee that yep. goes into it. But yep. honestly, even locally, I don't know if I would want to manage it myself either. I'd probably want a property manager to deal with a lot of that stuff, too. So yep. it's not that big of a difference. But, but yeah, to kind of button everything up, any other, I guess, common mistakes or anything else that you see people deal with that would help to avoid if you're going down this real estate investing path? Yeah. I, I mean, I would just say like, and kind of like when I talk about with any investing, it's like, you know, following the crowds, like that's generally what you want to stay away from. And that was kind of what I touched on with the St. Augustine, this Airbnb is like just popping mm -hmm. up left and right. And now people are cash flowing in the red. And now they're like, what happened? I thought this was a great investment. It's because Everyone else was doing that over the last three to four years and loading up on these Airbnbs in these hot markets and anyone could make money in those markets. And so, you know, just kind of be careful with like following the crowds and like, what are the crowds saying right now? Real estate is a terrible investment because interest rates are so high. You're going to lose money. That's actually for me. And that's where I want to actually like kind of open my eyes. I'm like, where are these opportunities coming? And, right. and especially having this conversation with that property manager that's taken over for my short-term rental, what he said, it's it's like the perfect example of like all these people that are dissatisfied with following the herd and now they're trying to get out. There's your buying opportunity right there. Right. And so, you know, it's kind of like the Warren Buffett quote I like to throw out there all the time. It's like, be fearful when others are greedy and then be right. greedy when others are fearful. I right. think that resonates so much with any type of investing. I'm not talking about just being greedy. I'm just saying when people are afraid, that's when there's opportunities. And when right. people are not afraid, that's usually when you want to pump the brakes and potentially kind of say, hey, let, let's let's sort of like filter through what's going on and maybe, you know, proceed with caution. Right. Well, no, Kevin, that's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time and kind of going through all this stuff. I, I don't get this from a lot of the other financial planners. So so this is really helpful information and, and good firsthand knowledge too. So I hope things go well with the, the short-term rental for you. But if somebody wants to learn more about you and your services, what's the best place to find you? I, I would say, uh, you know, I would say my Instagram, connect with me on Instagram. Imagine financial security is my handle on there. So I do a lot of the, a lot of my, you know, talk for, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, high income millennials, high income Gen X, real estate investing, those types of things I do on my Instagram. So that'd be the best way. Nice. Well, Kevin, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, Adam, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.